is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 196 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Can't believe how close we're getting to 200. Uh, today, I'm talking to Dre Baldwin all about how to work on your game. But first to last week's question, which had no replies, not one. The question was, what do you want readers to feel when they read your books? So obviously this is a hard question to answer. Um, So I guess I'll go easier on you this week. So this week's question is, what are you doing that's exciting this summer? Hopefully uh, you've all got something to look forward to, even if it's like a picnic in the park with friends. I bloody love a picnic in the park with friends. I get really excited about those things. And actually the reason I picked that one is because we have just booked a picnic uh, with friends. So yeah, I'm super excited for that. Of course, I'm also excited for our holiday. Uh, Not that I'm counting down, but I do believe it's 25 days to go. Okay, I lied. I'm definitely a thousand percent counting down. The book recommendation of the week this week is Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. Now, this is a sapphic contemporary romance. It was so sweet. It was, um, how do I even describe it? It was like found family, kind of group of friends, um, stepsister rivalry. uh, And yeah, I don't know, like it... I didn't love it as much as the hype, but I really, really enjoyed it. It was just like a feel-good story. It it made me smile and feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Yes, I'm still dead on the inside. Thank you very much, everybody who's going, oh, we got you. Um, But no, it was great. It it gave me all of the feels. So I highly recommend, if you're in the mood for kind of like a summer feels, like it's not set in the summer, I don't think, but like it just felt like a summer read, the kind of thing that you could read on the beach and have, you know, nice warm glowy feels in personal news and updates then yesterday as i record this so today is friday the 23rd of june and yesterday was the launch of book two a game of romance and ruin and it was the weirdest launch day i've ever had because i wasn't at my desk at all so everything that i should have done on launch day i will need to do today so i haven't contacted my art readers i haven't posted anywhere i haven't posted in like reader groups on facebook i haven't done any tiktoks i haven't you know set new ads running um so <laughs> it was very odd but also i i have a confession to make i'm really fucking tired <laughs> That's a hysterical laugh. Oh, it's like a delirious laugh. So look, I'm not in burnout because I know that burnout has a whole raft of symptoms, you know, loss of creativity, uh, lack of motivation, all those things. I don't have any of that, but I am really, really tired. And uh, if our holiday could be next week, that would be ideal, (laughs) but it's not. It's still three and a half weeks away. So, uh, And, you know, next week is the deadline for book three. (laughs) And I'm not sure if I'm going to make it at this point. I took Wednesday off because I just hit a huge brick wall and just could not do anything else. I literally spent, I would say, an hour and a half staring into the void uh, at my desk, just not doing anything, literally nothing. And I was like, I am really quite tired. (laughs) And it's not like a... A thing that just napping would cure or like, um, you know, just taking one day off. What I need is like a two week break because I haven't actually had a proper two week break or or even, you know, a proper non-stressful week away or a week even off. I don't even know when the last time. I'm not sure I've done that since I left my day job four fucking years ago. So it's not really that surprising that I'm tired. And I'm like cringing and feeling a bit queasy talking about this because obviously, you know, look, it's not clever to wear um, burning hard as, as a, well, no, that's not true. That's not what I mean. Exhaustion isn't a clever label to wear. And I don't, want to wear exhaustion as a label because I actually don't want to burn out. I actually just want to keep burning at a very hot level (laughs) for the rest of my life. Um, 
you know, because I love my job and I love being motivated, but, um, you know, and I love doing my job. That's, that's why I do this. But also I do have, you know, I do like to be honest with you. And so I'm kind of warring in my head over, over this exhaustion that I've gotten myself into. And sorry, my chair's creaking. And, and it's giving me pause for thought for how I, kind of do this going forward and look reducing some of the commitments that I have um you know reducing freelance all of that stuff that is going to help but it's it's not really in place right now so I I do feel that give me another two months and I will then not have to work quite as much um well, not, not work as much, but just, you know, there'll be more time to rest is what I'm saying. So I know, I know that I have already made the moves that needed, that need to be made in order to, uh, give me back some more time to rest. Um, but obviously they're not quite in place yet, which leaves me in a bit of a predicament over how I get this book done. <laughs> and I always don't want to say this. I almost don't want to say this out loud because I can just, like, everybody's going to just either groan or laugh at me. But, like, so it's Friday and part of me is like, you know what we should do? <laughs> I must be a sociopath, honestly. I'm like, let's clear the decks today. We'll do all of the marketing, all of the admin, all of the freelance so that I've got seven days completely clear. And then I'll just work really hard for seven days and just smash out the rest of the book. And I'm like, oh, if the hysterical laughter is exhaustion, like excitement or a little bit of both. Um, yeah. So look, I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that I do love to burn. I love to burn hot and hard and I do love a deadline. So, and I have pulled more ridiculous feats before. Uh, so we'll see. What I don't want to do is burn so hard that I burn out. Um, and so obviously I, I'm just going to take it day by day and see. So today is kind of a clearing the decks day. And then um, I've told my wife that I'm going to be writing over the weekend uh, and for the next seven days. And we shall just see. Maybe I don't quite make it. Maybe I, it happens a little bit, a couple of days later, whatever. As long as I get close um, and I can hand off the edits by the time I go away, that's all good. I can fix it after. So yes, I have some other exciting news that um, I have. All I, all I can say at this point is that I've signed some contracts and that's all I can say. But uh, I'm very excited to tell you about them uh, when, when, that, when I am given permission to do that. <laughs> it's just like the weirdest thing. Little rebel in me is like, oh, just tell them. But I can't. So I won't and I will obey the rules on this one occasion. Maybe that makes me a rebel of rebellion. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, okay, I don't think I have a huge amount more to talk about because um, the focus for this next week is just to smash words. But I am excited because when I'm back from holiday, I will be back to talking about all things nonfiction, which is uh, super exciting. The rebel of the week this week is Liz. Liz says, this rebel story is about my 13 year old daughter. We went to our local pride festival a few weeks ago. And as we were leaving, there was a group of hateful protesters. Ugh. The kind who pretend they're hating in the name of religion. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite. And a few of them came up to us and started telling me, oh, I can't even read this. <laughs> it makes me so mad. <sighs> a few of them, oh my God, <laughs> literally, like my insides immediately feel hot. Uh, okay, get a grip. Right, a, uh, a few of them came up to us and started telling me that I'm a bad mother for exposing my kids to the evils of pride. <sighs> Never mind that my other child and I are both LGBTQ+. One man was even shoving his phone in our faces and I assume filming or live streaming us and we ignored them and kept walking. Finally, the man with the camera said something which I didn't catch, but it was the breaking point for my daughter. She turned around, looked him in the face and said, oh, shut up. 
A group on their way into pride <laughs> applauded her. The hateful people were appalled that I'm raising such a rude child. Iral, yeah, she's the rude one. And we kept walking. My other child high-fiving their sister. It was one of my proudest moments as a mum. I fucking love that. Uh, your daughter is clearly going to grow up to be an absolute fucking legend. I can't, like, I just can't understand why I just don't, I just... It is beyond me. It, it is beyond my comprehension why people fill their lives with hate. Like, if you disagree with somebody's lifestyle or way of living or ethos or, or sexuality or gender or fucking anything, um, how is that any of your goddamn business? I don't understand why we need to meddle in other people's lives, right? Like, why... Why do I don't feel that I should have an opinion on somebody's marital status or their mental health status or their religious status or their fucking anything status? It's none of my fucking business. Like, and, and just because somebody is different to me doesn't mean I hate them. Like, I just, it, I, I almost feel like I sound naive, but I just actually don't understand why we have to, we as a society, have to hate people that are different to us. Why can't we just let them be? Like, life's too fucking short to be so full of negativity and poison. It does my fucking head in. And I, but I, I just, oh God, I'm, I, I'm not supposed to rant on this podcast, but I'm proud of your kid too. Good for her for standing up for what she feels is justice. You know, I, I just think that being kind to one another is the easiest and most simple thing that we can do. And I don't understand why so many people don't do that. Like, it is it is easier just to be kind than it is to be hateful. I just don't, I just don't understand. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to move on because otherwise I'm going to get on a soapbox and fucking rant my head off. <laughs> probably lose like half my followers so I'm gonna shut up now okay no new patrons this week but a huge thank you to my existing patrons if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content then you can from as little as two dollars a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black okay let's get on with the episode Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dre Baldwin. Dre is a CEO and founder of Work On Your Game Inc. He has given four TEDx talks and authored 33 books, which is incredibly impressive. Dre's content has been viewed over a hundred million times. His daily Work On Your Game podcast has over 2,300 episodes and over 6.5 million listeners. Dre had a nine-year professional basketball career playing in eight countries. Dre's framework is the roadmap in reverse for professional mindset, strategy, systems, and execution. Hello and welcome. Thank you for that great introduction there, Sasha. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Excited to be here. So am I. I'm so interested. I had a chance to read um, your work on your game book in advance, and I, nice. I loved the kind of black and white, no bullshit attitude towards like mindset. I uh, I, I really appreciate the, the black and whiteness of it. I think it's superb. I really like, I always talk about if ever I had a coach, when you like see American football and and the types of coaching that they do, they either like they'll like tap one of their players on the backside, they'll hug another mm. player, and then there's another player where they like grab the helmet and they're like screaming in their face. That's the coach I like, which right. is why I enjoyed your book so much because <laughs> that's yes, kind of what yeah. it felt like. Yeah, so you um, got to know how to uh, deal with different types of personalities. That's right. That's it, exactly. So before we kind of dive into the content of mindset and how to really get the success that we are after, could you tell everyone a little bit about your journey, about your incredible career and how you actually ended up where you are today? Sure. So the uh, two-minute version sessions, I come from the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I uh, now live in Miami, Florida. Uh, background was always in the sports. Played a little bit of American football, but not seriously. Played some baseball. Wasn't really that good at that. Uh, finally got into basketball around age 14, which is pretty late for someone who's trying to advance and go somewhere in the sport, like playing in college or pros, let alone 
Uh, only played one year high school ball. I walked on to play in college, which meant I didn't have anybody recruiting me. I just walked in, literally walked in the gym and just played my way onto the team. I played at the Division three level, which is the third tier of college sports, which doesn't usually produce professional athletes. Played there, and I did okay. I didn't set the world on fire. Uh, getting out of college, wanted to play professional ball, but again, there was nobody checking for me or offering me an opportunity, so I had to try to go try to go make one. My first year out of college, worth a couple, quote-unquote, regular jobs as a uh, – uh, salesperson at Foot Locker. And then I worked at a, a fitness gym, selling gym memberships. Then a year after graduation, went to an exposure camp, which is basically a job fair for athletes where you actually pay money to go to these things. I paid money, played pretty well there. Leveraged my performance at that event to get an agent. An agent in the sports is the same as an agent in the literary world. That agent helped me connect, helped connect me to my first opportunity. So I got my first basketball job professionally playing in Lithuania in 2005 took the footage from that exposure camp at the same time. So this is where the parallel story begins. Now I put that footage up on this new website called YouTube. And that was, it was just basketball material. So for about five years, I was just putting basketball material on YouTube sporadically. This was not, this was not strategic. It was just sporadic. I had a bunch of basketball players following me. They started asking me about mindset eventually because they just saw my consistency. So I started talking about mindset, started making a video called the weekly motivation every Monday. And that those videos became the foundation of what I do now. Because a lot of the athletes who are watching me said, Dre, the way you're talking, man, you sound like a, a philosopher or a college professor, the way you explain these things. And then people who didn't play sports, Sasha, they saw my material and they said, well, I know you're making this for ball players, but the way you explain it, this can apply to anybody. So that planted the seed that, hey, I can, I'm not limited to just talking to basketball players. I can talk to anybody, at least with this piece of what I'm doing. So that around that same time, this is when self-publishing became ubiquitous. Blogging was already a thing because I was blogging before I was on YouTube, but I got a lot more attention from basketball than I got from blogging. But then self-publishing became a thing. And then in 2015, I'm skipping a lot of stuff here. I'm sure we'll cover it. But in 2015, I got out of basketball, stopped playing pro. And that's when I kind of went into doing what I do now full time. But at that point, I already had written about four or five books, wrote a bunch more. I'm sure we'll talk about all of that. Got into you no know, coaching, professional speaking, did some TED Talks, et cetera. And fast forward to today, uh, those weekly motivation videos that I started back in 2009, 2010, really became the foundation of what work on your game is about, which is really just giving people direct, real and uh, no, no bullshit points about what you need to do to take yourself where you need to go, whether you're a basketball player, you're an author, you're a teacher, you're a student, you're a maintenance man, or anywhere in between. So that's kind of how we got here in the short version. No, I love it. I found it really interesting, like in your book, you talked about that you from the outset weren't necessarily one of the students who would have been seen as, oh, you know, this is going to be like the shining star. And yet, with your deliberate practice and your like, well, I don't know, you tell me, like, what was it that you did like, growing up that mm. facilitated that success? Because whatever you have put your mind to, you have made a success of. So what do you think were those kind of key elements in your career or in your mindset or in your actions that got you to where you are? Great question. Uh, number one thing is the discipline is a discipline uh, showing up every single day to do the work that was is really been the the baseline foundational piece of me getting from where I was to where I am whether we're talking in sports business or just personally because I was around a lot of people who had more talent more they have more opportunities in front of them they might have had more uh clay to work with so to speak but they didn't have the discipline to stick to it and see it through to make it actually work. So that, especially in the sports world, this is a big thing in sports that a lot of people just don't have the discipline to keep doing the work, you know, to get coached, to take constructive feedback from someone who's in charge, whoever that may be, and just to do what needs to be done. I call it playing the game. Sometimes you got to play the game, especially in, in the sports world, because in sports, at least in the United States, you want to play a sport professionally, a lot of times you have to go through college in order to get there. And to go through college to get there, you got to go to class. And I know a lot of athletes who are very talented, they didn't want to go to class. So since they didn't want to go to class and do the bare minimum to at least be eligible to play a sport, 
they lost their opportunity to play the sport. So everything fell apart from there. And in the literary world, uh, you and I both know very well, I'm sure you know even better than I do, that how many people come, how many people do you talk to who say they want to write a book, they want to be an author, they want to be a blogger, they want to be a whatever, podcaster, but they can't actually sit down at the computer, turn on Google Docs or MS Word and actually write something or turn on a microphone and actually record something. They just don't do the work. No, so because that the, it, yeah, absolutely. It's all about the glamorous side of like success, right? It's the getting to see, oh, you're on this podcast or getting to see, oh, you've got this degree, uh, this degree, this um, uh, uh, deal with a publisher or whatever. And actually, this is where this whole myth of overnight success comes from. But what they don't see is that when nobody was looking, that author was still at their desk at midnight because they had a day job and they were still pounding out words. Or they don't see the basketball player who's in the local, uh, you know, basketball area you know throwing hoops and trying to deliberately practice and improve their their game okay let's talk about your book uh or, or one of your many books um we're going to talk about work on your game talk to me about that concept like i know you've just kind of loosely mentioned it but you, there are four principles so what are the principles how did this come to you like what got you to the to the point of this concept and writing the book and why is it important to you Great question. So work on your game came about in 2009. I had just come back from playing basketball. I've been playing in Germany and I, that contract ended. And this was at the beginning of 2009. I was at a 24 hour fitness was basically a 24 hour gym in Miami. And I had my camera with me because this is before we had video cameras on our phone. So I had a phone and a camera. And I always had the camera with me just in case I came up with an idea to record something to put on YouTube. Because at this time, YouTube was starting to pick up a little bit of steam, but it wasn't a wasn't a thing yet. But I had my camera and I just had this idea because a lot of players at that time were watching me on YouTube, these random videos I would put out. And they would always ask for tips and advice and help. How do I get better? How can I get on a basketball team? How can I become a better player, Dre? And I've recorded this two-minute video. It's still on YouTube to this day where I said to players, listen, the reason why you're not getting – the ball doesn't get passed to you during the game. Nobody wants to give you the ball or your coaches don't put you in the game or you can't even make the basketball team at your school is because, well, look what you're doing. Uh, you are on the internet watching videos – or you're playing around on Xbox, or you're standing on the corner doing nothing. Look what I'm doing. I'm in the gym practicing. All right, this is why I can play and you can't. So what you need to do is you know, turn off this video. I even said that. Turn off the video. Stop watching YouTube. Turn off the Xbox. Stop standing on the corner. And you need to go work on your fucking game. That's the actual phrase that I said, work on your fucking game. And people <laughs> love, love that phrase. They love that phrase so much. And they started repeating it back to me. Like, Dre, I love that you said that. Work on your fucking game. Because it made... Because it, it encompasses everything, right? It's not even about sports. That encompasses anything. Anybody hears that, they get it immediately. Yeah, so, work on your fucking book. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can yeah. apply it to anything, right? So any game, whatever you do, it applies. And I had just said it off the off the cuff. I was just talking. I wasn't trying to you know, brand myself or make a slogan. But so many people kept saying it. About a year later, I said, you know what? I could just make everything just could be under this umbrella. So that's where the whole phrase working your game came from. Now, the book itself... Now, I started saying work on your game in all my videos, probably around 2010, moving forward. And I stopped playing ball in 2015. And then in 2017, I was actually speaking at a, an event in Atlanta. And I didn't get paid to go to speak at this event. They said, hey, and they actually offered me, to, I filled out, I had my assistant fill out the form to speak at this event, like a call for speakers. They chose me to speak. And I said, well, you know, do you all have a budget? And they said, we don't have a budget. And I said, well, I'm not doing it. And she said, well, we strongly suggest the woman reached back to us and said, I strongly suggest that you reconsider because we have a very high quality audience. You might want to get in front of this audience, even though we can't pay you. So because she said that, I said, all right, I'll do it. So on my own dime, I went to Atlanta, paid for my hotel, paid for my food, paid for my travel. This is a $2,000 trip, not to mention opportunity costs. Get on stage and I give a speech called work on your game. That's like my signature speech, work on your game. And it goes over the four principles, discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. And I'll explain those in a second. I got off before I even got on the stage, actually, Sasha, a woman from the NBA, National Basketball Association over here, reached out to me or she approached me in the room before I got on the stage and said, Dre, we want to have you come speak to some of our teams. I hadn't even given my speech yet. So she already knew that she was interested in me because I was a former athlete and they wanted someone who was a ball player who had transitioned into entrepreneurship to talk to the players about what are you going to do after basketball? They already knew. She had already decided they wanted me 
I hadn't even given my speech yet. So that was one opportunity. Then when I got off the stage, a woman from the NCAA, which is the college sports department, she came up to me and said, we want you to come speak at one of our events because we need you know, a former athlete who's become an entrepreneur because most athletes don't become professional athletes. Right. So that was two opportunities. Then another woman approached me and said, Dre, I know at because at this point I had a bunch of self-published books. I'd given away a couple from the stage actually during the speech. And the woman said, well, Jerry, I know you have self-published some books. Have you ever considered writing a book with a traditional publisher? And I said, well, yeah, I've considered it. I had never pursued it, but I considered it. I said, as a matter of fact, miss, I want to write a book about this exact framework that I just gave the speech about called work on your game. I want to make the book work on your game. If I work with a traditional publisher, I know that they look out more thorough than anything we could probably do by ourselves. I said, I want to write a book about that. She said, okay, well, give me a call. And that's how that book happened. So that free event that I did not get paid for, a bunch of opportunities came from that. So I ended up making money from that free speaking event, which is a, a, a whole other thing. And that's how it came about. So to answer your question, what are the frame the framework? Discipline to show up every day to do the work, confidence to put yourself out there boldly and authentically, the mental toughness to keep showing up, doing the work, putting yourself out there, even when the success you've expected to achieve has yet to occur. And the personal initiative to go and make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So those are the four pillars of the work on your game philosophy. And that's basically what the book is built around with a little bit of my story mixed in as to how those came about. I have a really random tangential but related question. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you believe in luck? It's a good question. Well, I do believe that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So if someone stays extremely, if someone's always prepared, and the opportunities always exist. It's like opportunity exists everywhere. So as long as we are looking for the opportunity and we stay prepared, then luck can happen. So I believe in it in that way. I don't not I'm like exactly random the fall luck. out the sky. But yeah, yes. I'm the same. I'm like, yeah, but we make our own luck because of right. exactly what you've just said. But I often upset people when I say that too bad. Um, okay. <laughs> One of the concepts uh, in the book is cardio for the mind. And I love that. One, because I fucking hate cardio. Two, I much prefer throwing heavy things around my gym. Like I do more like, okay. yeah, I'm a yeah. weights girl. But um, anyway, I loved it because I was like, oh, I don't want to do cardio. So tell everyone a little bit about that. And like, do you have any practical tips that maybe relate to listeners and writers listening to the show? Like, how can we uh, implement uh, cardio for the mind as authors? Great question. And so we're a little bit opposites in that way, Sasha, because I'm more of a cardio guy. So I oh. ran six miles. <laughs> I ran six miles this morning. And, I, t- uh, I tell you what, here's why. Here's why. I trained for the London Marathon three times. Okay. It's yeah. not that I hate, hate cardio. I do love, love, love lifting weights, but um, mm. I have flat feet. And despite having like trying to get orthotics and, and all of this stuff, mm. I just got plagued with an injury. So because I knew yeah. that my body wasn't really like biometrically formed to run, I just right. fell in love with weights instead because I knew I could do that. And now I'm really strong. So like now I'm like, mm. yeah, I just love weights instead. <laughs> right. Everything anyway. for everybody. Like, we all got to get in where we fit in. Right. So exactly. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be good in like wrestling. My body's not made for that. My body's made for like, <laughs> basketball, volleyball, running, those mm-hmm. kind of things where you're long and angular. That's that's how my body is. So it makes sense. Yeah. No. So sorry. So cardio for the mind is, I believe, the first chapter of the book. Uh, the first chapter. And the reason why I open with cardio for the mind is because you need to be in good condition for whatever skills you have. Whatever skills you have, you need to be conditioned to actually use the skill. Because if you're highly skilled, but you are not conditioned mentally or physically to use the skill, then you can end up being really frustrated and disappointed because you know you have the ability, but you don't have the capacity to actually use it. So that's where cardio front of mind comes from. And being that I'm a guy who's, I've always been big on cardio, just being, I played a sport that involves a lot of running. So I noticed this as a basketball player, and I'll get to how this goes to authoring, authorship and everything else, that when I would play against other players, I realized that they weren't in, in as good a shape as I was. So if it, we were pretty equal skill-wise, or even if they were a little bit better than me, I knew if I put enough pressure on them and made them get tired and get fatigued, I could beat them because they would start to get tired by the end of the game. And then I just take it, take advantage of their fatigue and just overwhelm them. So that's why I like cardio, because I know the longer to run, the better chance I'm going to win. So I'm a, I'm a distance runner, metaphorically speaking, and literally. I like pretty, pretty much the 10K distance is my favorite. I've done a couple marathons, but the training is too much, takes too much time. <laughs> and then when it comes to uh, cardio for the mind, when it comes to uh, authors, is really conditioning your brain to 
want to sit down and do the work or stand up and do the work, however you get it done. But knowing that there's a certain amount of writing that you need to be doing on a consistent basis, not only for know, finishing your book before the deadline, not only for having your next book out or your blog post up or your email sent, but also just so you can maintain the muscle because anything you don't do consistently, the muscle will atrophy and you'll lose your ability to do that thing. Whether we're talking lifting weights, whether we're talking uh, speaking on a microphone, whether we're talking writing, anything that you do, you have to stay consistent at it in some ways so that you can maintain the ability. So for any author, the cardio for the mind is telling yourself, okay, this is my time that I'm going to write. I'm going to get this much writing done every day. I'm going to take this much time to write every single day or every other day or three days a week, whatever is going to be for you. But you have to stick to it and be thorough about it because in the long run, the people who are the most disciplined usually be the, usually are the ones who end up winning. They're the ones who end up with the success and they are not necessarily the most talented. They're just the ones who are most disciplined and the most consistent. Yeah, I love this. And I also think to add to that is that writers need to be patient because a bit like marathon running, writing a book can take quite some time. Uh, but also over the years, like I think I think a lot of writers expect to like write one book and then be able to write quickly after that. But, you know, it took me nearly, I don't even know, eight years maybe to go from taking six months to write a draft to three weeks to be able to write a draft. And like, mm -hmm. it, that's a lot of practice and a lot of years in, you know, increasing by 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%. I think quite often we expect these things to happen so quickly because we are in this, well, I am a millennial. And so I'm in that era of tech boom and everything getting quicker and sh attention spans getting shorter and so right. you know we do expect these things to happen quickly but actually you look at any player it's a decade at least of work before they hit the peak of their career you know um what's the chap who talks about that uh uh the ten thousand hours of practice malcolm gladwell um right and also I'm, I'm reading a book called Peak at the moment that talks about deliberate practice and just how how long it takes to get there. So I love this. I love this so much. Mm -hmm. And I hope everybody is listening and taking notes. OK, writers often suffer with a lot of fear of like exterior judgment, which affects our perception of ourselves and of our writing. You talk a lot about mindset and shrugging off old beliefs about who we are. I wondered if you could talk about this in terms of a creative and being like any type of artist, I suppose. Um, and how can we put this into practice? Like, how do we shrug off those false beliefs? Yeah, well, number one thing is understanding that most human beings outside of ourselves are not thinking about us as much as we are thinking about ourselves. So a lot of times when like even as a, a business coach to this day, I get people who say to me, well, you know, if I put my stuff out there, whether it's they're putting something out for sale, whether they're writing something, whether they're coaching, whether they start a podcast, they write a book, whatever they say, well, I'm concerned about what other people are going to think about me or think about this thing that I'm about to put out into the public. And the truth of the matter is most people are not thinking about you at all. They're not They're Most of the time, every one of us is self-centered and we're thinking about ourselves 95% of the time. And even when we talk about another person, all we're doing is projecting what we are thinking and we're just using them as a canvas upon which to paint our own thoughts and our own ideas. It's not really about you when somebody else is even, even when someone else is talking about you, it ain't really about you. It's really about them. So that's the number one thing that we have to understand that nobody's really that focused on you, not nearly as much as you are. So the they that people you know use as a, a proxy or as an excuse for their own emotions and feelings, really you. You're just using them as the excuse instead of just saying, hey, I'm concerned about how I'm going to feel about myself when I put this out there. They say, well, I'm concerned about what everybody else is going to say. What is the public going to say? What are people going to say? Another thing is when you first come out and you're not known like that, you don't have a big audience. Nobody's going to notice what you put out anyway. Nobody saw it. So even if it sucks, it doesn't matter because nobody even knows about it. Nobody saw it. Nobody read it. Nobody, nobody watched it. So if it sucks, you just make another one and nobody will even care about the last one because they didn't see it in the first place. And then overall, when it comes to having your material judged, let's say it is being judged. Let's say you do have an audience. Let's say it comes out and it goes viral for whatever reason. Somebody picks it up, somebody uh, shares it, and a whole bunch of people get to see it and they give their opinions and feedback on it, which you know, both of us as creators, we've gotten plenty of feedback, some of it that we didn't, some of it people who didn't agree with us, right? For whatever reason, when you put that material out there and somebody gives their feedback, they should be giving feedback because they're paying attention to you, all right? They're reading your material. So even if 
it's a negative feedback or they disagree with your point or they disagree with your perspective or they disagree with just you in general and wherever you're coming from, that's fine. They have a right to do that. This is what happens when you put yourself out there is that somebody's going to agree, somebody's going to disagree. This is just part of the game. And uh, being an author, being an entrepreneur, being a creative is what I call, Sasha, a contact sport. Contact <laughs> sport means there's going to be times when people just that. don't agree. People don't like it. People are going to push back. People are going to attack you. And people are just going to just disagree with what you're saying. And that's completely fine. They have a right to. In the, in the world that we live in, people have a right to disagree and not go along. And that's the way it is supposed to be. I feel like in the world that we're living in today, a lot of people seem to be looking for a space where everybody disagrees or if they don't agree, they're not allowed to say anything. I don't agree with that. I think everyone should have a, a right to push back, even if they don't like something that you did. And the people who do like it, those are the people you can pay attention to. And if somebody disagrees, if they can disagree in a maybe a, a professional way where they have some real, actual, useful uh, criticism, maybe you could get something beneficial out of it. Not all the time. Sometimes you're just going to have trolls and haters and just negative people. But overall, I don't have a problem with somebody disagreeing with something that I say. If they have an actual, there's some actual substance to their pushback, maybe I'll learn something from it and we can have a good conversation. There are fewer and fewer of those people these days, unfortunately. But if there is some, hey, I'm willing to take it. Uh, growing up, one of my biggest issues making friends was that I uh, I'm quite opinionated and mm. I always used to find it really fun where people would want to disagree with me because then you you know that they're engaging with you and you know that they actually have an opinion on something that you said and so you have created like meaningful communication between you but people yeah. often find it very intimidating when you are brave enough to disagree with somebody um sure. and so I I just find it so sad that this like discord is discord in a professional like uh considered way as opposed to like all out war of course um but you know considered disagreement i think is so beautiful for stretching minds and and growing ourselves and i i really enjoy debate and i i'm just so sad that like people don't like it when i debate <laughs> Yeah, but anyway. I 100% agree with you. And I think we will be good friends because yeah. <laughs> I, I like debate too. I like debate. Right? And in the world that we're in now, people just don't like debate. Like as soon as there's a disagreement, people want to get away or tell you not to say anything or just stay quiet. But it didn't used to be this way. It didn't, the world did not used to be like this. A hundred percent. I respect people more when they disagree with me. If if it's like, a, like you said, a considered yeah, ba substance. backed up opinion. Yeah, exactly. Right, I'm like, exactly. oh, you disagree. Tell me why. And then I'm <laughs> going to tell you why you're wrong. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. Anyway. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. And it, it's healthy for us to be able to push back against each other because that's how you get stronger. I mean, you like to lift weights. You don't exactly. get big muscles from not facing resistance. We need exactly. resistance. Exactly. Um, okay. So I loved your hard take on discipline. Um, and, and in fact, I this is really random. You don't know. Have you ever heard of Clifton Strengths? Clifton Strengths? strengths. Yeah. The, no? Okay. Okay. I would be dead curious to know what your strengths are. But anyway, uh, I'll, I'll explain that afterwards. Um, it's okay. So I loved your hard take on discipline. What I also know is that for somebody like me, who is a parent mm. and, a, and a wife, um, and there are people listening who are carers uh, or people, lots of listeners who still have full time jobs. So chasing your dreams does mm -hmm. need to be done in like those in between hours. Right. right. Like yeah. when you're responsible for little ones or families, you can mm -hmm. have all the discipline that you possibly want. But for example, uh, I was on a deadline last week and my kid broke his finger in school. So I had to oh. throw everything out the window, you know, lose a whole working day and go to the hospital. You know, these things happen. The best, most successful people are resilient, right? So they manage to pivot and move on. How? Like, what advice do you have for when you have the discipline, but shit gets in the way, stuff goes wrong? How can we be resilient in those moments? Your question, well, you had to immediately recalibrate. So I'm assuming you still met your deadline or what happened? I, more or less, yeah, okay. <laughs> more or less. Okay, you had to squeeze a little bit, but yeah. yeah so there was a little fun was... squeaky time, but I got there. <laughs> right, right. So number one thing is you immediately recalibrate. Like I have a, I'm a parent as well. So my child is not even, almost 10 months. And, oh, uh, congratulations. Yeah. 
Thank you. So he's waking up in the middle of the night. You know, I haven't gotten a full night of high quality sleep since he was born, you know, and but I still had to do the things I had to do. I still got to get up and go to work every day. I'm still you know, having conversations like this with you. I'm still getting up and running outside the same way that I did before. I don't have the, my energy is not exactly the same, but I'm still going to do the job. The process does not change. I just have to adjust my I had to adjust everything that I'm doing around the fact that there's a you know, a contingency, there's a certain situation that's changed in the process. So that's where the resilience comes from is having a plan in place. For, okay, this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm still going to do it. I just need to make my adjustments around this to make sure that I'm still doing what I need to be doing. So that's uh, the number one thing when it comes to resilience, whenever you know something gets thrown into the situation. Challenge for a lot of people is that as soon as they face, as soon as something gets a wrench gets thrown into the process is that a lot of times people just, they just throw their hands up and say, all right, well, I guess I can't do anything. And that's a lack of discipline. And discipline is created by structure. When you have the right structure in place, then the discipline is a byproduct of it. The discipline doesn't create structure. Structure creates discipline. So when you have a structure and you know, okay, I have a child now, so I'm not going to be able to do this the same way. Instead of getting eight and a half hours of sleep, I'm going to be getting seven. All right, so now how do I adjust for that and still do what I need to do? Or my child broke his finger. I got to go to the hospital, so I can't. All this day's work has got to get pushed to another day. Still needs to get done. I just had to do it in a different way on, on a different day. All right, how do I squeeze everything else to make this adjustment? So for us as you know, as entrepreneurs, as authors, as leaders in our own lives, we just have to make the adjustments when necessary, whenever something pops up. But we are not changing the fact that the goal is still the goal. It's just a matter of all right, now we just got to find a different route to get to it. What like do you did you face setbacks in your own career? Like what were some mm. of the things like how did you pick yourself up mentally? Like did you ever face that kind of um, feeling of it's never going to happen. It's never going to, you know, how did you, what are some of like the trick mental tricks that you like gave yourself in order to keep that grit? And it's almost like a hot burn. Like I always feel like I'm always mm -hmm. on fire. Like my brain is always on fire because I'm always driving towards that. And people often talk about, well, how do you stay motivated to me? And I'm like, no, I just wake up motivated because I know I, I don't know. I just burn at a hot degree. But so when I when I personally face setbacks, it's just I don't know. I'm not very good at explaining this. Yeah. What what do you do when you face a set, setback? How does how do you deal with that? Yes, I face plenty of setbacks. So first of all, in the sports world, as I told you, I I don't know how well your audience knows the sports world, but if you only play one year of high school basketball, there's very low chances you're going to play in college. And if you play Division three college, very low chance you're going to play pro. And then even when I got into pro basketball, at, as soon as every job ended, because in pro basketball, people watch the NBA on TV, they have five-year contracts. And overseas basketball, you contracts one year. And it's really like one day. Because if you have a bad day, you might get fired the next day. It, it can happen that quickly. So every time... I face that setback. I'm the type of person who just emotionally, I've always been, I've always had my mind conditioned to where disappointment and sadness, I channeled it into, it kind of became anger. And then I channeled that anger into to productive activities. It's just that I had, you know, I had two parents at home growing up and I had good home training as we call it. So instead of taking that energy and doing anything destructive, I just did constructive things. I write books, do podcasts, TED Talks, and you know, start businesses. But I could have took that same energy and gone the exact opposite route, but it's the exact same energy. So all I did was just learn how to channel that energy into doing positive things. So anytime that I faced a setback, I never looked at it like uh, the example that you gave there, like it will never happen. I never looked at it like that. I always looked at it like as soon as a setback happened, the first thing I'm thinking is I started revisualizing in my mind, okay, it didn't happen the way that I thought it would. How do I reconstruct this to where it does happen the way that I wanted to? So I'm always just reconstructing in my mind. Okay, I thought it was going to go this way. Clearly is not. Now, how is it going to go? Because it's still going to go. It's just a matter of now it's going to go a different route. I love this so much. And I love this because anger is one of my favorite emotions. Mm -hmm. um, I I always really upset people when I say this, but I really love being angry because it's so fucking productive for me. Like I am never mm -hmm. more productive than when I'm angry. And um, I it was really an awakening to me that people didn't see anger as a positive. Whereas I'm like, it is the hottest emotion. It is the most uh, forceful drive of an emotion, but only mm -hmm. if you are using it in a positive way. 
And um, so funnily enough, and this is really tangential, but the series that I'm writing now is a dedication to female rage, like female anger, because actually we can do fucking, we can change the fucking world with anger, but like only if it is directed in a positive way. So I'm so glad you said that also, because I think it's really um, frowned upon for a woman to be angry. But actually, like if you look at all of the women who, who made changes in the world, they were all angry women, right? Like it, it is such a powerful emotion if it's used correctly. So I love that you said that. Okay, let's talk about the third day. What's the third day or the third week or the third month? And, and you know, why is it important to us? Sure, let's use an author as an example. So let's say there's an author who's listened to your podcast, Rebel Author Podcast. They decide they want to write a book, all right? So they start listening to your podcast. They sign up for your course or your program. They hire you as a coach. They say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this book out. So they start writing their book first day. They go and do their you know, 2,000 words that they said they're going to do every single day. They do it. It's hard for them. It kicks their ass. Their brain is sweating to get those 2,000 words out, but they finish it. They look at what they have in the MS Word or Google Docs or on pen and paper, and they say, hey, I'm doing this. Second day is a little bit harder because they had the fatigue from the 2,000 words they wrote the day before. They're not conditioned to do this, so it's going to be really hard to kind of pull those 2,000 words out of themselves or 500 or whatever. The second day, they push themselves to do it, though, and they do get it done. It's a little bit harder, but they get it done. And they look at what they have written. Now they got 4,000 words. They say, hey, I'm doing this. By the third day, already things change. By the third day, they're looking at that uh, computer and they don't even want to sit down and put their fingers on the keyboard. By the third day, they are just tired of the even, even the concept of writing a book. By the third day, they're saying to their accountability partner or their coach, hey, um, let me, can we just postpone this call? I'll get back to you tomorrow. The third day is any situation, circumstance in life where the newness of the situation has worn off, the novelty is gone. You realize that this thing that you signed up for is not going to be one big party. It's not all fun and games. And there's some actual work that needs to get done. That's what the third day is about. And the third day is not the occurrence, but it's more the decision. Because when this happens, because everybody deals with this, I don't care if you're an athlete, author, entrepreneur, parent, anywhere in between, you're going to face a situation when, yeah, at first it was exciting. Then you realize, oh, this is every day. I got to do this all the time. All right, this is real work. And it's the decision that you make. Am I going to continue to show up and be a true professional at what I do? Or am I going to throw in the towel and be an amateur and only show up when I feel like it? So that's what the third day is about. Oh, I love that so much. I always feel like... <laughs> I mean, I have a habit of giving up sugar every so often. And uh, the third day is always the worst. <laughs> like without That's doubt, right. it applies to literally everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. In the writing world, there's a concept called writing to market. And this is where an author will assess and analyze a genre that's hot and selling a lot. Uh, and then they'll rapidly write a book that's fit for that specific genre. Yeah. But writing to market and doing all of the right things doesn't always guarantee success. And I love the parallel in your book where you said doing the right thing entitles you to nothing. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it means for your mindset and how you should approach continuing to strive for success? Yeah. And Sasha, it goes right back to the discipline part, because you could do all the quote unquote right things and still not get the outcome. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do the right thing again the next time, because sometimes the sometimes the dice just don't roll the way that you want them to roll. And as long as you're consistent at doing those right things, if they are indeed the right things, then over time, I mean, just look at the law of probability, you're probably going to get the outcome that you want. So when it comes to doing the right thing and titling you to nothing, it's understanding that you're not owed success though. The world does not owe us understanding. All right. All the world owes us is opportunity and you have your opportunity and all you can do with that is go out there and maximize it, make the most of it. Okay. Did it work this time? No. Okay. Let's try it again next time. All right. Did it work this time? Yes. Okay, great. And as long as you are consistent and disciplined at what you're doing and you're doing the things that do actually work, things that do actually produce results over time in the long run, the, in the aggregate, the big picture of what you do, you will have a, a resume of success. The challenge for people is they'll try to do the quote unquote right things once, not get the result that they expected, and they give up. And, as, and Napoleon Hill talked about this. How many times does the average person try something before they give up? 
And the answer is between zero and one, because most people don't even try once, let alone more than once. Whereas you probably have to try something multiple times to really get a real result and really create something that is substantial and of significance. But many people don't even try one time, let alone two, three, four, 10 times. Which is comes back to exactly the thing that you said earlier, which is how many people have said to you they want to write a book. I can't even right. tell you. It's like exactly. a lot of people. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Talk to me about self-belief and the concept of being a fan of yourself. I really loved that because I've definitely gone on a journey over the last year through like coaching and things in, in order to value myself, love myself and kind of embrace the uniqueness that is me. So can you talk about how we can do this as creatives? How can we become a fan of ourselves and how will that help us be more successful? I came up with that idea first when I was watching you know, my backgrounds in sports. So being online, you know, watching sports games and you know, live commenting sports competitions. And I noticed something with a lot of athletes, especially in the basketball spaces that it appeared to me and I noticed to be true that a lot of athletes seemed to believe in their favorite professional athlete more than they believed in themselves. And I said, man, you y'all seem like bigger fans of LeBron or you no know, Steph Curry than you are of you. Uh, so no wonder that you can't make the basketball team. No wonder nobody gives you the ball. You don't even believe in yourself. So that's where the idea first came from. But it applies to people in all different spaces. So the question that I always ask people, are, are you a bigger fan of yourself or of your favorite you know, celebrity, entertainer, author, uh, politician, athlete, whoever it happens to be? And when people can become the bigger, a bigger fan of themselves than they are of anybody else, there's a certain posture and there's a certain energy that a person carries themselves with when they believe in themselves. They're, they're, they're the number one fan of themselves or their number one uh, idol, let's just say, is themselves. And that's where that came from is just being that fan of yourself. And it doesn't mean you can't admire uh, Oprah or you can't admire David Beckham. You can't admire LeBron or Michael Jordan, but... You should believe in you more than you believe in them. Because if you believe in another person more than you believe in yourself, well, how can you expect anybody else to buy into you? You haven't even bought into yourself. So in sales, they say all the time, Zig Ziglar talked about this, that you got to be sold on yourself first. Number one sale is the sale you make to yourself. And even as authors, first sale you make is the one to yourself. You haven't sold yourself on the value of what you have to say in your book. Then how can you expect anybody else to buy it or read it? or get value from it. So that's always every single day. And this is not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. Number one sale you make is to the person in the mirror. Was that a quick shift for you or did it like take time? Like how did you get to that position? Because I think for me, it's taken a lot of growth, a lot of like paying thousands in coaching to like get to this point where I'm get like, yeah, I'm fucking awesome actually. Thank you very much. But uh, like how, yeah, what... Did that shift happen quickly? Did you do anything in particular? I can tell you, you know, I know I paid for coaching to get there, but like, what, what did you do to get there? It was more of a quick shift for me. It wasn't a gradual overtime thing. It was more of a quick shift because as soon as I heard it, the first time I heard anybody say anything like this was probably in my probably in my early 20s when I first got uh, introduced to personal development. Yeah. And I started you know, reading the books, Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar, uh, Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, people like mm -hmm. that. And they said it. And I'm a I'm a very analytical thinker. I'm a very logic, straight laced thinker. So when I heard it, I said, this makes perfect sense. I, said, I will this adopt this immediately. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's literally what happened. I said, I'm a, this is exactly how I need to look at things. That's the discipline coming in as well. Yeah, that's exactly. the discipline. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I love it. So this is part of my wiring. Okay. Um, succeeding as an author is a long game unless you're a lightning bolt, right? And okay, lightning bolts happen, but they are one in a million. Um, you know, success in this industry is not one overnight, which means you do need a certain amount of mental toughness to get through those grueling days. Mental toughness is something that you talk about in your book as well. So I wondered if you could share your perspective on it um, and how we can go from maybe not being so tough to developing toughness. Yes, it's a, a great question. The mental toughness is, as I define it, your willingness and ability to stay disciplined and stay confident, even when the success you've expected to achieve has yet to be, excuse me, yet to be achieved. So that mental toughness is really developed from going through situations that where things are not working because you don't really need mental toughness when everything's working. You do, but not as, uh, not as, uh, 
is not as pointed the need for mental toughness and everything's working because mental toughness is also about, let's say you had a great day yesterday or your last book did amazing. And it has nothing to do with how well your next book is going to do. All right. So it's always looking at we're showing up with a clean slate. I remember I was watching an American football game and uh, Peyton Manning, his team was down like 21 to nothing in the first quarter. And he was just going around all his teammates on the sideline saying, Hey, it's zero, zero. Let's approach this game as if the score is zero to zero. And they ended up coming back and winning the game. That's mental toughness. It's looking at the situation as it is, but not making it worse than it is. And this is what happens with a lot of human beings is because we are emotional creatures. We allow our emotions to kind of railroad us in uh, too far the wrong direction, especially when things are not working. We allow our emotions to make the situation seem way worse than it actually is. And even when things are working, we allow our emotions to uh, make us relax and we grow complacent. And so we do a, our last book was amazing. Our next one is terrible because we didn't put the same effort and time into it because we didn't have the mental toughness to tell ourselves, hey, that one's over. We got to turn the page, uh, no pun intended, to the next book. All right, that one's done. Now we got to get on to the next one. So that mental toughness is about how do we deal with, look at the situation as it is, don't make it worse than it is. And then what can we do about this situation? How can we make this better? And then just going to work on whatever we came up with and staying dispassionate. And really, sometimes we have to be able to check out of our emotions and tell our emotions to stay quiet and stay out of this. Because the metaphor that I use, Sasha, is that emotions are great gas pedals, but they're terrible steering wheels. Uh, you don't want your emotions driving the car of your life. But you once you tell them, once your logic tells your emotions where to go, now you use your emotions to press on the gas. But they should never grab the wheel because they'll run you into a wall. <laughs> I love that. Like, I love that so much, especially because of what we were saying about anger earlier. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, I, I can't quite remember the phrasing that you said, but you were making me think about the fact that um, humans are such habitual creatures. Like our bodies are actually programmed to stay in homeostasis right and so it's really hard yes. for us to break out of that habit and that um like homeostasis even mentally that we create but actually the greatest place to be in life is outside of your comfort zone life's fucking boring in your comfort zone but so many people don't want that like because it is hard and it is it does require mental toughness and i the thing that i love most about what you just said there is that you don't need to be mentally tough when everything's going right um and that, like that was a bit of a oh my god yeah that's so true um, so I love that so much. Okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Man, only, only one time? <laughs> oh, no, do you tell me all? <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> So as far as my inner rebel, I knew when I was in, when I was a senior in college or my last two years of college, because I have a, a business degree and I have a degree in business with a focus in management and marketing. So the school that I went to the last two years, you basically kind of get into your major and you take all these classes that are about the major. So all my classmates, it was the same people for the last two years. And I remember just looking around at them in classes and they would all do all their homework and maybe they're doing everything the teacher asked. And I was in a very average college student session, not because I was average intelligence, at least I don't think I am. So I was average in effort. I just gave average effort because I knew by about halfway through college, all right, nothing is being taught here is going to help me with where I want to go. Because I knew I graduated college in 2004. So I, I saw the internet. It was coming, but it wasn't the internet. It wasn't anything like we have now. I knew I wanted to play basketball first. I knew that's what I was going to do first. And then as I saw the internet emerging, I said, I'm going to do something that's different than what most of these people are doing. Then I got introduced to uh, network marketing when I was in the middle of my college years, and they introduced me to personal development. That introduced me to Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And when I read that book, I said, whatever he's talking about, this is what I want to do. And what he's talking about is different than what my classmates are doing. So I knew I was different from a lot of them. So I knew I wanted to get a degree. So I said, let me just do enough work to graduate. I graduated with a C average, very average um, from school. And... I knew the next thing I was going to do was play sports. So even when I got out of school, as I told you, I didn't have anybody offer me a job to play sports. So when I told my parents I wanted to play sports for a living, they, it didn't make any sense to them. And it didn't make any sense. It literally made no sense. Logically made no sense. So my parents were like, well, do you have a job opportunity? Is anybody offering you or do you have a plan for actually making this happen? I had no answer to the question. I actually wrote about that in the book, Work On Your Game. There was no real plan to make it work. But I knew that I didn't want to go the route that I had seen most people around me going. So my time of unleashing my inner rebel was really like that whole the last 20 years combined because I knew I wanted to do something different. And I started doing this 
the going the entrepreneur route before it was a normal, cool, easy, easily paved road. Now, if you came in the last 10 years, you can see, all right, here's how you can be a creator. Here's how you can make money. Here's how you can build a brand. But in 2003, uh, there was no there was no path to doing this. But I knew I was going to go a different path than what I saw everybody else doing. So my this is my whole adult life <laughs> has been pretty much that. I love it. Oh, thank you so much for that. I have genuinely really enjoyed this conversation. So I hope that uh, listeners listen and re-listen and listen again. Would you like to tell everyone uh, where they can find out more about you, your books, anything else that you would like to add? Sure. So my uh, best place to find me online is on probably on Instagram. I use the Instagram stories function, uh, a healthy amount. So that just my name is Dre Baldwin, Instagram slash Dre Baldwin. As far as my books, I got a, I pretty much got a landing page for every single book because I use uh, my own sales funnels for those. But the place that they're all listed is at workonyourgame.com slash books with an S on the end. But I have books that people can get for free. They just cover the shipping. I have several, but the third day is one that you asked about. You can get that at thirddaybook.com. The book's free, just cover the shipping. Uh, if you're overseas, the shipping is a little bit more into the US, but people in the UK probably understand that already. So yeah, that's where you can find me. And I'm online. Every social media platform, I'm on it. Just look up my name and I'm easy to find. Everything's Amazing. public. Thank you so much. I'll make sure those links are in the show notes. Sure. Thank and- you. Thank you so much to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Dre Baldwin, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Brock Swinson, and we're talking about screenwriting and what you can learn from screenwriters to take into your novel writing. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.